Hello and welcome to the History Happy Hour, a podcast that reaches out to touch history only to find our fingers are moist. (laughs) Today's episode of the History Happy Hour is brought to you by the Royal Dutch Tulip Exchange. Diversify your crypto, NFT, and stonk portfolio with rare Dutch tulips. The Royal Dutch Tulip Exchange, sure to make your investments bloom. Hello, you two. (laughs) Hello. Hey. Hello. Hey. All right. Wait, wait, wait. I got to introduce you guys. So here we have when the world goes away, history will still bear witness to our sacred feminine. And that is Miss Amanda Brass, who joins us on this beautiful Juneteenth weekend. And of course, uh, our giant of both girth and mind, the Ozymandias of our crew, Mr. (laughs) Dan Dingman. Look upon him, ye mighty and despair. And I am, of course, Alf Lamont, the simple mouthpiece, the couthon to Dan's Robespierre and Amanda Saint-Just in our humble little committee of public safety here. Uh, and that's a hell of an intro. Uh, the reference is just never ending. No, it. no, it's just back to back to back, right? Because this is a history happy hour. We just saw so much history. We're just feeding people. We are. We are feeding people. And... Uh, by the way, we, we talked real quick about the, the Dutch tulips and the tulip exchange. Does anyone here have crypto? No. No. But I mean, it's tough, right? And I just, I, back like in the early teens, like 2010s, the, I had friends that were like, this is it. This is a thing, man. And I was like, <laughs> and now I wish I had listened to them. Back in the early in the early teens, in two thousand nine, right. um, right. I was on um, what it was what was it? Silk Road, Silk Road, which was like the black market of of right. uh, of the internet, which which like so I had to download like this whole like extra Tor browser and all of this shit, and I was on on the Silk Road, and I'm like I said to my wife, I'm like Tonya, we could get you know Polish passports here. Um, and and she's just like you log off right now. Um, yeah, she's right. And, yeah, that's well, what you do it. But well, I you know, and then I was just like, okay, but wait, we should. They're like the the, the exchange here is this crypto stuff. I I could buy a couple of Bitcoin here, and 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 you know, like we have like this crypto right. money, and she's just for like, like five dollars too at that time. Off. Yeah, back then it was like nothing, right? It, it was like to five give it to away. a dollar. They yeah, were and, it away. and yeah, it was. I remember it was just like like. Like, I remember it's just like one Bitcoin for uh, two pounds of meth. And, uh, and so we, um, yeah. And so, and so, um, ultimately she was just like, you bought off that. And so for, for us and in our family, crypto was always like tied to fake Polish passports and, and, uh, methamphetamines. Right. So, well, and the thing is, is when it first came out, I'm like, but it's not real money. Like, how do you, how do you cash it? And, and, who then, and then we back, right, but then when you start thinking about, it, you're like, but the dollar's not real money. <laughs> like it's all just, it's all just numbers on in computers. So yeah. like, we we all kind of agreed to the value of it, right? Yeah, I think I think the tu- the Dutch tulip exchange for for those of us who 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 failed to invest in crypto, I think we're all just constantly like, well, you know, you saw what happened to the tulips, so. You know, that's why know. that's why I'm not investing because tulips. 
Um, it's not because I can't get know. in now. I yeah, refuse no. to invest. I refuse to invest out of protest because it's very poor for our environment. The way they yes, cook up. And also, I don't do that. Agree. Agree. And also, um, let's just face it. The people who are really into crypto are some of the most tedious people on the planet. I'm finding that. Right. So right? there's a liquor store in my neighborhood that the ATM is like, this ATM deals in Bitcoins. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> you just put your card in and go and you just get these these Chuck E. Cheese tokens and you're like, I guess I have a Bitcoin now. Right. Yeah, like, I'm not into it. What? Not into it. ATM. I don't even trust ATM. In fact, the 7-Eleven by me, the guy was like, don't use that ATM. It's totally compromised. There you go. There you go. Russian Pentagon. Well, a, a Bitcoin a Bitcoin ATM is compromised? Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Po- Polish passports here. Yep, Polish. <laughs> you you stick in your Polish passport, it comes out with Chuck E. Cheese. Okay, I'm glad we I'm glad we figured this out. Excellent. Correct. Love that. All right. So, not so current events is the moment where we recap news of the week. The big news, not like any news, right? We're not going to talk about like, you know, local news, but the big news of the week, and we help give it some historical context. We we add some historic flavor, some exotic Silk Road spices to the bland day-to-day boiled meat of the news cycle. So uh, this week's big news, and we're all kind of in it, right? Like we are kind of celebrating it, is Dan, what is this week's big news? So it's uh, yesterday was Juneteenth, and this week it became a federal holiday, the first one since 1983. Uh, so federal employees... 1983 was MLK, right? Was MLK. So all federal right, employees, right. enjoy your day off, your three-day weekend. Um, and yeah, so Juneteenth is sort of a... Uh, if you don't know about it, which is probably not likely, it's... I guess you could look at it as possibly kind of a second Independence Day. So it was the day that um, some of the last people uh, kept in slavery found out uh, by general order. Let me get the, the general's name. His name was Gordon Granger in Texas um, that uh, slavery was illegal and they were free to go. But they weren't. I, as I was studying more about it, um, because I'll confess, I, I, I didn't know a whole lot about it um, before. They were not the last slaves to be freed in the country. Oh. Yes. The oh, Choctaw okay. tribe yes. held slaves. And since they were considered, you know, a nation within a nation, okay, there had to be more sort of legal wrangling right. to free the slaves held by the Choctaws. And that was an 1866 but for all of our sort of you know practical purposes um we now have a holiday an official holiday uh to celebrate the end of slavery which i think you know is important um and it was in texas which was the last southern state to free their slaves Uh, but it was also the first state to recognize juneteenth in 1938 so that's kind of that's kind of interesting. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Texas because I have a bone to pick with this with that state. Um, well, a nation within a nation, right? Right. A exactly. They are a republic. Yeah. So 
They, they aren't. In fact, they in, London, in London, you can, they still have a sign that says from the 1840s, that is the embassy for the Republic of Texas on a building in, in oh, London. No. Yes. Come on. You can still see it. Oh, they had ambassadors. Just so angry. That just encourages them. That just I'm just so angry. Them. Right? Yeah, me too. Me too. So angry. It's like, shut up. All right. So here, like, like, stop me if I'm wrong here, okay? So the reason Texas declared independence from Mexico, because that Texas used to be part of Mexico, is because Mexico declared slavery illegal. Right. And most of the most of the white Texas landowners are people who came from the north and were just like, ooh, the U.S. is getting too anti-slavery. We want to move somewhere where slavery can be can be unfettered. Right. I think I mean, is that I, well, I think Mexico made a bargain with the devil in that initially they wanted these Americans to come and settle in Texas. Partly as a buffer with like the uh, the Apache and the Comanches, you know some of the Plains tribes that 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 were pretty tough, right? And so initially they did like the Americans coming. They brought money, you know. They settled, provided a buffer, and then and then and then and then, and then, and then, and then slavery becomes illegal, and these guys are just like whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, we love slavery. Texas loved slavery so much that they seceded from Mexico first, and then they seceded from the U.S. That's how much Texas loved slavery. Anybody who's into the Republic of Texas, anybody who loves the Republic of Texas, all of these daughters of the Republic of Texas, all of these people that are like, <laughs> Texas, we do things bigger. You know what you did bigger originally? Slavery. The biggest thing in Texas was slavery. And you guys, you guys be Texas proud as much as you want. Your history, born in slavery. And the fact that the last the last people in the US say like like the were enslaved in Texas makes perfect sense to me because it's part of the culture and, and all of the stuff that's going on right now in Texas. Sorry, I had to do this. All of the stuff that's going in yeah. voter suppression. Um, and and uh, suppressing uh, uh, reproductive rights about reproductive rights, suppressing the, the way folks talk about history. Right, we're talking about history here. We're talking about real history. Um, and and I bet you anything that talking about Texas slave past and how it's founded on people who doubled down, tripled down, quadrupled down on slavery, that's not admissible now in Texas schools because what they want is they want to they they don't because because they don't want to talk about it because that's uncomfortable because Juneteenth is about them. I don't know, man. I just, I have, a, I have a, I have a chip on my shoulder about Texas. Am I wrong in any of this, Dan? I do. I, I, do. I don't, I don't, I honestly don't know enough about the history of, I mean, yeah, I don't know enough about Texas. And, and I mean, it's a, it's a nation within a nation. What does your heart tell you? What does your heart tell you about Texas? Knock on that middle box and see what your heart says. Uh, well, I do know they like to come to Colorado and buy weed. Okay, there you but go. okay. There you go. I think I think And they're notorious candy. for bringing their gators and their little four-wheels up to the mountains in New Mexico and Colorado and just tearing ruining, the shit out of the ruining the ecosystem. Tearing the shit out of things. I do know that. Yeah. 
So yeah. had that uh, in. Brassy, you had some some insight about from from uh, from like what happened in Texas, right? Like you you had some some stuff you wanted to chime in on about I, Juneteenth. I would. I, I here's where I stand with it is I'm trying to reconcile the amount of time that it took. From the Emancipation Proclamation announcement in September 22nd, 1862, mm-hmm. from September, Lincoln says, starting on New Year's Day in 1863, from this day forward, slavery is abolished. So they had, uh, what's that, what? But only in states in rebellion. Okay, that's a great, see, ah, specificity. Because in Kentucky and Delaware, it was still cool because they weren't in open rebellion. They weren't in open rebellion. And so for political considerations, how loaded is that comment? Political consideration. Delaware and Kentucky were allowed to continue slavery practice. Unbelievable. So the other 10 states in active rebellion had to lay it all down. And they didn't get, I'm sure the North, the Union did not give them, here's a playbook. Here's how do you walk through the steps. Here's how you prepare. I'm sure they were just right. told to figure it out. And I think, oh, go ahead. There's oh. more always. Uh, you said the, the thing. I think I the, the, thing. Uh, I think the um, that's why I like the movie Lincoln, is because they do some of, the, I, I think that movie shows like some of the mental gymnastics that like Lincoln and his administration had to go through to be like, well, I can't do this because if I do this, then that recognizes them as a nation, but they're not a nation. They're states in rebellion. So I like, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I did. I did have the note written here that Lincoln number one, first and foremost needed to keep Britain from recognizing the South because Britain was very anti-slavery. How can right. you be anti-slavery? Britain practically invented the shit. You know, they, uh, um, well, anyway, the co- colonialization. I feel like Britain practically invented that. But Yeah, they- I, I mean, Britain's right now having like a, because what happened was Britain was just like, hey, the slavery thing, woo, make it rain. And then they're like, oh, shh, shh, this never happened. Shh. Right. And so like all the all the Brits right now are having like like a, there is a moment happening in the UK right now where they're just like, yeah, like we had a big hand in slavery. And just and, and here's the thing. They've been they've been resting on their laurels about like abolition because they had like the abolitionist movement in the UK was just, you know, the song Amazing Grace comes from from the abolitionist movement of the UK. And it's 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 a whole thing. And and, uh, you know, it, it was one of those great, ter- like great moral like moments. And, and I do have to hand it to the to, to the Brits, like the 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 turnaround on slavery was just like one moment. They're just like, we're doing this. And then the next moment they're like, this was not a good idea. We're going to stop this and we're going to stop this for everybody around us. And they were very, right. very anti-slavery. So I think, I think, you know, for what it's worth, there was a, there was a change of heart in the UK. That's not to say that they didn't have their hand in the original sin, but, um, but anyway, sorry, Brass, keep going. Yeah, please. fair. That's fair. The, so I'm thinking to myself, this is a time when news traveled by word to mouth. And then it also had to be written on a paper, sealed up, walked outside, put on a bag and a horse and run right. down the street, 
You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I understand. Yeah. News they traveled could, slowly. They couldn't text, hey, y'all are free down there. They couldn't text that. I get it. Sure. But that didn't come up on their feed, on their timeline. Right, right. But I am super offended on behalf of everybody <laughs> that two and a half years went by without yeah. the union saying, uh, did we check on some of the outer territories? We didn't. I mean, when did the union up? even, like, gain control of Texas? I feel like I know right. a lot Some about the Civil War, but I have. don't even know. Some so, would say they I mean, never have. It's so big. <laughs> there was nobody there. Yeah. It was considered native territory. Native. I, right. I just just native. The, that's it. I think. I think there's. A, I, I think one of the things that we almost named this podcast was a little bit of both, right? And I mm -hmm. think. I think there's a lot of different things in play. Number one, Texas didn't want to do it, and we've often heard of Texas just doesn't want to do it. Oh, you're doing things your way? Nope, we don't want to do it that way. We're going to do it this way. So Texas didn't want to do it, but there's also the geographic considerations. There's also the political considerations. I think there's there's a bunch of different, a uh, little bit of everything. Well, you know, Texas tried to invade Colorado during the Civil War. You're joking. Nope. Oh. The Battle of Glorieta Pass in New Mexico. Uh, yeah, every every state had their battle, and it was three guys. Hold on, with, no. With, but no, 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 this one was legit. This was real. The idea was to invade Colorado. And Colorado actually had a pretty big, like, underground Confederate movement. Oh, no shit. Did, right? Well, it was settled. I mean, it was settled by people from Georgia. Right? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, some of the early miners, right? The idea was to take the gold fields oh. in Colorado. Oh. Yeah. So they some confederate regiments from texas started moving up uh moving up uh north through new mexico and the colorado first volunteers who are famous for another reason uh oh, yeah. stopped them at glorietta pass which is on the way to santa fe on i-25 if you drive down from denver to santa fe it's right there stopped them at the pass and uh led by shivington who would have been a hero Except for a year later, he went and massacred hundreds of Cheyenne and Arapahoes. Right. Same guy. Same guy. Yep. There's Would have no, been a hero. There's, there's no. <laughs> Would have been a hero. No, there's no heroes. There's no. I think. I think one thing we we've learned about history is that, and humanity, frankly, is that there's no Thank heroes. You. No one. No one is. No one is perfect. No one is clean. No one is uh, ideal. And uh, you know, which which makes uh, which makes the current political landscape all the more interesting because um, uh, I think I think the the way people people fluctuate from extremes right now uh, wants to create heroes, and and we know that none of those nobody nobody right. it doesn't exist. Well, it doesn't exist. I mean, all right. Quite frankly, I was shocked to hear how many southern tribes actually uh, allied with the Confederacy. Oh, yeah. There you go. No heroes. No heroes. Like, we never talk about, you don't hear anything about, like, the native tribes on how they, during this, you hear about the revolution, but you don't hear, like, the Civil War. I was like, oh, wait. Yeah, it's yeah I guess they, there probably kind of, would have been a political yeah. component between yeah, some of you those kind of, you kind of assume <laughs> that the, the, the native tribes uh, during that are just like, oh, good, let them right. kill each other. Yeah. So, next up is uh, our 
history's greatest all right so in this yeah in this moment we propose for wide consideration some of history's finest some of the greatest x in history and i don't mean like great you know what i mean and this <clears throat> week we are doing history's greatest dogs which i know so real so real i'm a dog person Dan is a dog person. Brandon, mm -hmm. I am a dog person, though. Like, there's I a cat on my are. lap, but I'm a dogs, and I recognize each other at a mile off. Like, we I understand agree. each other. You, you <laughs> have, you have, you have a dog heart. I definitely. do. We're, we I are, do. we are definitely dog people. So, uh, so Brassy, why don't you lead us into your nominee for history's greatest dog? Okay, we've all heard the legend of, and pronounce, pardon my pronunciation, it's, it's Guinefort, the Greyhound. We all know about that saint, the dog that was sainted, although the Catholic Church fought. It, that is the goodest boy in history. But modern times, <laughs> my nomination is a dog that was a stray in Santiago, Chile. It went around from different college campuses, like it was always like running around college campuses. Uh, he was at the University of Santiago, the Metropolitan of Technology, and the Central University of Santiago. And they only knew him by his tagline, which was Negro Matapacos. In English, that translates to something kind of edgy. Uh, <laughs> it's the cop killer. Oh! <laughs> what? But it's a black Labrador. So he's uh -huh. a negro. He's a perro negro. He's a black right, right, right. Top, top, top killer. That was his name. What? Right. When so, did he live? 2000. Well, he got really famous oh. in 2011. I nice. know this dog. I know this dog. I've yeah. seen pictures. Yeah. He, okay. He's, oh, was he the one that would go to the protest? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there will ever be a big, a better boy than that. Like, that's the best dog I mean, because that's a, good, that's a good boy. Uh, in 2009, he was discovered on campus and one of the teachers took pity on him, uh, made sure he always had a snack, sometimes let him in when the weather was bad. She started putting handkerchiefs around his neck. And but every day when before she left to, to go teach class, she gave the dog blessings. Huh. So every day this dog received a blessing. And then the student rebellion happened in 2011. That dog hit the streets, would, <laughs> would, was out in front, was protecting the student mobs, and oh. actively, actively attacked the Chilean, or the Chilean Carabineros. Um, that's their national law enforcement. That's the amazing. The dog actively went after police on purpose so every That's protest so funny nobody was telling the dog hey so remember next saturday you got to be down at the thing the dog <laughs> just the dog just found it the dog would yeah. come to these protests and would stand out in front of the student mob and would give it the and put keep the police back keep keep the students protected i don't know if the dog is still alive because it is 2021 and it was a stray dog Sure. But he was discovered in 2009. He was famous in 2011. Um, they, uh, they it, in Chile, they also had a nickname for him other than the black cop killer, which is rough. 
Um, <laughs> par- pardon my Greek pronunciation. The Chileans uh, called him the Lucanikos. Lucanikos was the Greek dog who was actively in participation of protests during the anti-austerity protests in Greece, 2010 and 2012. So there's there's a, there's a history of these protest <clears throat> dogs. Yeah, but <laughs> but yeah, kind of kind of started though with with Negro Matapacos, and then Greece. Uh, rose to fame with their uh, Lucanicos. Interesting. Interesting. Great nominee, Randy. Good boys indeed. Good boys. Um, Yeah. Man, that's so cute. I take my dog to marches and protests whenever I can. Uh, Because, Um, uh, yes, you would see his face. He became the the face of the propaganda. So all this Chilean propaganda came out, and it was a dog wearing a little handkerchief. And don't we just love a nice doggy propaganda i think we love it we love an icon we love an icon. and speaking of icons my nominee it's a little more on the nose uh, but how can i have a poster of my nominee in my bathroom um and it is of course like uh the space dog oh such a sweet girl such a sweet adorable girl so for those of you who don't know Laika was a three-year-old oh little baby girl um, three-year-old mongrel, yeah, so it was a stray, part husky, part samoyed, part terrier, right? Like one of these, like, like super, um, and she was a sweet little space dog who got jettisoned into orbit by the Soviet space program. <clears throat> um, and I mean, the, the whole story of like, like, I mean, it's been romanticized, right? Like basically they killed a dog. Like if, if you, if you really Boil it down. It was a very boil sweet puppy, but boil it down. Thank you. Um, if you boil it down, it was a sweet puppy that got jettisoned into space to test whether or not living creatures could live in space. They actually expected her to die as soon as she got up there. She didn't. She lived a few days, um, terrified, hungry, like poor baby, uh, but immortalized mm-hmm. by being the first human first not human the first uh like like earth creature in space and and just a sweet puppy and if you guys look at all of the pictures she's just always like all of the propaganda around like uh is very sweet and and immortalized in soviet propaganda for eternity right there's statues of Laika, there's books about Laika. like Laika is a thing and just a sweet girl who gave her life for science unwillingly. Um, and I just like. There's been I songs love, written like, about her. There's been songs there's written been about her. Books, movies, <clears throat> cartoons, you name it. It's. Uh, I mean, if you're if you're Soviet, if you're Nikita Khrushchev, and you you know your scientists are like, yeah, creatures can survive in space. You're just like great, and we have a mascot for the space program. So yeah, so I have I have actually a couple of of reproduction uh, Soviet space dog posters in in this house, uh, but yeah. So my nominee for for goodest girl uh, is Laika, and so sweet, so sweet. And she uh, she was not originally known as Laika. Laika means barker, um, and uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, she 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 became Laika. So she was definitely a loud loud girl. Uh, so anyway, that's my that's my nominee for goodest. Um, Dan, who you got? Oh, so God. mine is Smokey the Yorkshire Terrier. Okay. 
cute. Dan's showing us a picture of a puppy in a helmet. I mean. So Smokey was found in New Guinea after a battle in a foxhole. And they thought maybe she belonged to a Japanese soldier. So they took her to the prisoner of war camp, which says a lot about Americans. As <laughs> I was going to say. Like, what? like to go reunite the dog with their prisoner of war. But they found out she wasn't because she couldn't speak. She couldn't understand Japanese. Oh, like well, that's when weird. they would try to do when they would try to do wait, commands. Wait, 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 wait. What, what do you mean she couldn't speak? So, so they're just like, hey, they, go, go fetch. And she's like, I don't know what they're saying. Like, yes. how would so how would so dog, so they would do would so the they would do commands in Japanese. That... No, they would do commands in Japanese because they thought that she was owned by a Japanese soldier, but she wouldn't respond to it. So they're like, we don't think she's Japanese. So the guy that found her actually uh, sold her to another soldier for two Australian pounds for or six dollars and forty four cents at the time so that he could get back into a poker game. Oh. Okay. But then she served the rest of the war. So they think she was born in nineteen forty three. She was fully grown when they found her. Um so th- her new owner kept her for the end he was um a reconnaissance Air Force reconnaissance. So she uh lived in his backpack and in his tent with him for the remainder of the war. She is airborne certified. She did a 30 foot jump with a specially made parachute. (laughs) And she would, she would run wires like, uh, uh, communication wires through tunnels. And you know how fast them dogs are. Right. So they would put it, the, the soldier saw her like running strings and they were like, oh, let's give her the wires, put her through the communications pipe because she was Ooh. this big. And then and it was safer for the engineers and the and the and the and the soldiers. Right. From having to run those wires. Um, she also could because of her enhanced hearing and she could feel vibrations. She saved her owner um, from incoming artillery fire that ended up killing eight other soldiers. Wow. Um, and then post-war. She got a job in Hollywood. She would walk blindfolded across a tightrope. <laughs> so she got, she was on the vaudeville circuit. She lived to be 14. Oh uh, when she died, they buried her in a um, a uh, 30 caliber ammo box well, for her. For her service. And she's, con- right. And let's see, she's considered the first therapy dog. She did therapy with veterans and soldiers during the war. But she was not a she was not an official dog, like she was not an official army dog, so uh-huh. she was not provided any of the veterinary care, or like uh, the special diets, no the special no dog food benefits, no no right. v, no VA vet. No. There's our running uh, theme again. Right. So because she wasn't an official uh, war dog. Hmm. How much more official can you get? I I, I mean, protest. I, 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 pro- I protest this whole right. this whole concept. Yeah. It's pretty. So tough. she served with the Fifth Air Force, um, and yeah, I mean she's 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 really interesting. And was and another thing is um, she sort of repopularized the Yorkie breed. They weren't very popular in the United States until people started to hear about her, and then people got interested in the. Uh, in the breed again. Brilliant. 
And I have to say, I really, I love, I think Yorkies are awesome. They are. I have so, to say, Dan, my, I yeah. have, I, I have a Jacques here. Um, I think, I think, I think you chose this because it has the cute picture of the Yorkie in the helmet. Of course. <laughs> because is that I not mean, the best Amanda, picture ever? It is a very good picture <laughs> of a Yorkie in a helmet. Yeah, I mean, Amanda has the, the protest dog. I have the the space dog. You're just like it learned to do tricks after the war. Up in yep. a cup. Uh, <laughs> up in a cup. <laughs> All right, but so no, I mean, honestly, are... like she she is credited with being like the first therapy dog. Yeah, like like the army and the. The, the space dog, you're just like, it learned to do tricks after the war. Up in yep. a cup. Uh, <laughs> up in a cup. <laughs> All right. But so no, I mean, honestly, are... like, she, she is credited with being, like, the first therapy dog. Yeah, like, like the Army and the Veterans Administration started to see the, the, the usefulness of therapy animals, starting with her. So. All right. And she, she okay. did save her yeah. owner's life. Like, we can't poop Multiple that. times, yeah. right? Yeah, that's so, not poo-pooed. Yeah. Fair. Well done, girl. Good girl. Fair. All right. Good girl. Good puppies all around. Very happy to hear that. And that was uh, that was our history's greatest pups. Oh, that's Dan's pup right there. Very cute. <gasps> um, all right. Not our a good, next not a good segment. <laughs> not a good puppy? <laughs> oh. Oh, well. All right. Our next segment is called... Fine dining. On this segment, we ask a historical figure out on a date. We wine them, we dine them, and we hope to get a little, you know, enlightenment. So, um, I will kick this off with my dream date uh, of the moment, of the week. Um, and I don't know if you guys are aware, but this previous week is the anniversary of when Maximilian von Habsburg was... Uh, was uh, was executed uh, by the troops, uh, by the firing, by fire squad, by uh, under the order of Benito Juarez. Maximilian von Habsburg was uh, a, a a second, third tier Habsburg that got asked to become emperor of Mexico by some bad folks who didn't know what they were doing, and he was just naive and self centered enough to take it. Um, and I would take Maximilian von Habsburg. I would take him to dinner. Um, to a place called Gelaguetza, which is a Oaxacan restaurant oh. in Los Angeles. Um, and and uh, we would eat mole, and we'd eat Mexican food, yeah. and I would try That to place get, is good. The thing about Maximilian von Habsburg is that he, he, he professed a lot of love for his, for his adopted country, right? He loved Mexico, and he talks about like, like being respectful of indigenous people and, 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 and elevating the country and elevating his countrymen. He had, he had a lot of lofty ideals. Ultimately, he was a foreigner who believed in absolute monarchy or, or some sort, even enlightened monarchy in, in a place that he didn't belong. Um, and so I tried to, over the course of this, this fiesta de moles, which uh, Gelaguetza has delicious mole, uh, mm. I would probably try to kind of get inside his brain and see, see if, he, if he is sufficiently self-aware to have doubts about what he's doing. 
Um, and then, and then if, uh, if that part went well, I'd probably, I'd probably take him to a Dodgers game afterwards, um, and just show him, uh, like, uh, like how, how, uh, how awesome, um, Mexicans are. Would you get the $24, <laughs> would you get the $24 Michelada? Yes, I would. I it's would. pretty good. You tell yeah, me okay. too. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, so Maximilian von Habsburg. I would I would go to Mexican food and then a, a, a Los Angeles Dodgers game. That is my <laughs> my fine dining experience. Well uh, done. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Brassy. Press. Oh. Well, ours are gonna be very similar. Ours oh, are, are they? Similar. Okay. Daniel, let's see what Daniel says. Okay, Dan, who do you got? Who's your Dan? Well, I I well it's hard. I think I misunderstood the assignment a little bit. Um Okay. I don't really have a date. I was more interested in a specific dish that I want to, that I would eat. Well, tell us right. the dish, well, and why then don't we'll you send, we'll the we'll send we'll someone you. to you. Yeah. We'll, 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 yeah, we'll set you up on a blind date. Okay. Let's go. Where are you eating? I'm very interested in this dish. I don't know if I could ever bring myself to eat it. Are you guys wow. familiar with the Ortolan bunting? No. no. What is this? So it's a little bunting bird. Mm-hmm. Um, they catch them in France, alive, okay. Okay. and then they force feed them. Sure. And then they you do. process that. Let's just use the, the technical term. They are processed by being drowned in Armagnac. Mm. And then you cook them whole. And then you eat them whole. And then, you know, you get the Armagnac and all of the bones and the whole thing. And it, like, supposedly cuts your mouth and very intense while you eat it you put your napkin over your head some say it's to keep the fragrances near your nose others say it's to hide your face from god because that's what i was gonna say (laughs) i was gonna say hide your face from god i've never heard of these before until um anthony bourdain talks about how he was privy to a dinner that served them okay then you're going with anthony bourdain because i'm gonna send you hannibal lecter if after that but Anthony Bourdain oh, might be your date. Okay, well, Anthony Bourdain was a real person. So, yeah, I would like to have dinner with Anthony Bourdain, and we would eat well, well the Ortolan bunting. Woo! Okay. Daniel. I was it's, a, it's apparently illegal or highly frowned upon. It's frowned in, upon in by France. nature. You don't drown <laughs> a bird. Drown it's pretty intense. Bird. And you thought foie gras was intense. I, I do Jeez. love foie gras, but it is it's intense. Good, right? I do love but it foie is, gras. God, it's good, though. Oh, it, yeah. it is wonderful. Which but, makes you think, no. like, like if the French are willing to do all of that, there's got to be something to it. It's it's apparently Fancy. like 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 when you when you do it, that's like your official. Like you are now a true gourmand. You know what I mean? Okay. First off, you have to you have to find out. They don't serve it in restaurants. Like no, they're Who private dinners. Oh, you gotta, yeah, Who you have to get invited to a private dinner, right? This yeah. is some eyed wide shut shit. I don't know about right. that. <laughs> wow. Well, Dan, Jesus, you really floored us with that one. All right, Mandy. <laughs> okay. So Anthony Bourdain is your your guest because yes. who, nobody's else, nobody else can do this. Except well, he's the one that you. told me about it. So yeah. Well, yes. it's his fault. All right. So let me lighten the mood a little bit. Um, yeah. I have a dinner date tonight, uh, and but I didn't realize we needed to pick a restaurant. I'm going to go to Pujol in Mexico City. Okay, good one. 
Um, and I'm taking with me Mexico City's adopted daughter, Leonora Carrington, the occult artist. Ah, uh, Leonora Carrington was born from a well-to-do family in Lancashire, England. She was incorrigible as a child. She was kicked out of four how, uh, boarding schools because she refused to conform. She bargained with her parents, like, I'll stop acting out if you send me to art school. I just want to go to art school. So I'll stop acting out if you send me there. And they said, deal. Uh... She refused to be married. She refused all that weird courtship. She didn't want to do a debut. She was very anti-everything. Uh, she goes to art school. She meets Max Ernst, the German, living in... He was visiting London. They met. They fell in love. They went to Paris. They shacked up. And then... Th this was like 1938. And then the Germans invaded France. And they grabbed Ma Max Ernst, and they took him away. And that bothered Leonora quite a bit, and it got to her mentally. Yeah, it, it would. It would. Then he escaped imprisonment. He came back and said, gather up all these things. Gather up your art. We got to shut the house down, and we got to flee. He fled without her because the SS came again. Yeah, he left without her. She was taking too her. long. She was yeah. taking too long. I know that. I know that. Well, I'm just, we got to go. She's like, no, yeah. hang on. We get the purse. Well, the, yeah, the there was things, yeah. things, things, and stuff. So Max leaves without her, and she has a mental breakdown. Mm -hmm. Someone from her family gets sent down to, to, to Paris and says, just gather up everything in a box. Right now, we're leaving with the clothes on your back, and we're driving to Spain. Well, so they she were had to be told twice? Right. Well, it was... <laughs> they, 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 were in the of, they were in the middle of nowhere France. They were in rural, rural France, where they All thought right. nobody knew where they were. If we're not making excuses for Texas for not hearing the news, I don't know. It's in French. Uh, so right. she, she says, well, if you get down to Lisbon, you can get on a boat and go back home to England. And Leonora got a really funny feeling about this felt like a trap to her. So she jumped out of the car in Spain. And she landed in Spain and she was deposited in a mental institution. For jumping off was, cars and not, well, not packing quickly enough? because she refused to be married because she refused her ooh-la-la upbringing. All of her stuff. All of her They stuff. sent her. And they said, you're overreacting to Max Ernst, so we're going to lock you up. Okay. She was sexually assaulted in this asylum. She was tortured. She was uh, not fed. She was, you know, I mean, all the bad things that happened. Sure, all of the things that happened in asylums. In, those in asylums. Or, well, still do. And, uh, still and do. Especially to women. Yeah especially to women. So she breaks out of the Spanish mental institution. On She was supposed to be going to a new institution in South Africa. She jumped out and landed, and she made it all the way to Mexico. She made it to Mexico. She goes up to the embassy and says, hi, I recognize you. Uh, you know Picasso, right? He goes, yes, but Pablo is my friend. She goes, I'm Leonora Carrington. Oh, right. You've done some huge art expos. Like, everybody knows you. And she goes, thank you. Can you help me get out of here? So he marries her. Wait, who in is In order this? to save... This is the Mexican embassy. His name is Renata... Oh, the, the, the Mexican in ambassador. Spain. Yeah, yeah. Mexican in Spain. Ambassador in Spain. Okay, oh, okay. got in it, Spain. Got it. Okay. Sorry, guys. So his name is Renata de Duke. Le Duke. Renata okay. Le Duke. Marries her on the spot. It says, now you're not under control of your family. 
you are my wife. You can do there what you, you want. No, there you go. So he takes her to Mexico City, and she delves into the, uh, let's say, the chemical attractions like peyote and all of those things, marijuana, everything that was made available to her, she took, and she started making art, art, capital A art. It was mm -hmm. intensely esoteric. It was it, profoundly occult. It was otherworldly. It was detailed. It was alchemical. It was psychological. It was so heavy. And she even started doing theater in Mexico. Okay. And right. she met she met Yodorovsky, Alejandro Yodorovsky. Look at and that. And they did a little stage show together. I thought, damn. <laughs> So she uh, lived all the way up until, I want to say, like 2009. I think she lived until about 2009. She wow. passed away. So she passed away very much uh, never wanting to. I mean, of course, her, her husband has passed on, of course. But she was anti-religion, anti-patriarchal suppression, anti don't tell me what to do or i'll take these drugs and i'll find god on my own she was very much a my path is my path and i'm not going to take any suggestions from anybody stuff it so we're going to start at puljo because she adopted mexico city as her home and mexico city loves her they consider her a, like a shining star in the crown of mexico um interesting she got into deep shamanism she got deep into the Mayan practice. Like she honored the culture without interfering and without centering herself in the art. She sent it, she centered spiritual womanhood, divine feminine in her art. Uh, we're going to start at Pujol. We're going to end up in a tequila bar. Mm -hmm. She was a chain, chain smoking, yeah. <laughs> chain smoking, tequila drinking. She lived hard guys. That's, that's, that's my dinner date. That's what you want. And what is I, that is amazing. Number one, that she lived hard, but also that, um, that she lived till 2009. I mean, that's, she was uh, that's born in 1917. Of... 1917 was yeah. her birthday. Yeah. Oh. That's about, that's about this. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my granddad, uh, same, same years, uh, except I think, uh, I think my granddad made it to like two, th yeah. 2009. Whoa. Same years. Oh, um, yeah. So yeah. yeah. 